Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible but were afraid to ask. I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. And I'm Eric Barreto. Today we're talking with Mark Throntveit about the question, which Bible should I buy? Which translation should I use is another way to say that. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Mark. Uh, so when I go to my no- local Barnes & Noble or my local bookshop and I look at the shelf and see shelves and shelves of Bibles... How do I even know where to start? Is it better just to close my eyes and reach out for one? No. Okay. Uh, there we go. <laughs> and I think there's a reason why we have so many, many different translations. I was just reading a book that says there have been over 1,200 new translations into English of the Bible or parts of it between 1945 and 1990. That isn't even counting the last 21 years where we've seen even more. That's incredible. 1,200. Lately, the reason has uh, arisen that the philosophy behind being faithful to the text has changed. In the past, we thought that the best way to be faithful to the biblical text was to translate in a word-for-word kind of way, Mm -hmm. where you find an English equivalent for every Greek or Hebrew word. Now, that's good, that's being faithful to the text, but it's often not understandable for people. They're not particularly readable. It's, it sounds well, like a choppy. Some, yeah, sometimes. because it is, in, it is in English. It is in English. It right? is in English. Well, I've heard it called Biblish. Uh, right? Biblish, like yeah. Yes. Biblish. <laughs> or translation ease yeah. or yes, something, right. Like right. That. something like that. It sounds like God speaking to you, especially if it's the King James, but you don't <laughs> really know what it is God is saying ah, to you. Interesting. Lately, what's happened is people have said it's much more important to translate in a meaning-for-meaning kind of way where you try to figure out what it is that the biblical author was trying to convey and how people in his or her day would have responded. And then you search for an English phrase or an English word that will evoke the same kind of response in readers today. Let me give you an example of that. There's a Russian proverb that says, a bear sat on his ear. That makes total sense. That total sounds sense. uncomfortable. But if you read it, does for both the bear and the one in the ear. Yeah. The difference is, if you translate it in a word-for-word word sense, you understand meaning, you have content, and you say, "Is he okay?" But that isn't what the Russian person meant. The Russian person meant he can't carry a tune in a bucket. Ah, uh, uh, he's tone deaf. Oh. Now there, yeah, he's tone deaf. There, now there, none of the words are the same. Yeah. But the meaning is there. And the same kind of response would be evoked from the people who are doing the listening at that point. So what are the, what are the you said, like the, the benefits and the drawbacks of each approach, would you say? Well, the benefits of the word-for-word approach is that it is more faithful to the way Greek and Hebrew is being written. If you understand Greek or you understand Hebrew and you're reading that kind of a translation, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what was going on in that translation. If you don't speak Greek or Hebrew, it doesn't make very much sense at all. The meaning-for-meaning translation is good because it's already being interpreted for you. The strength is that someone has taken the trouble of saying, what does this mean for us today? The problem with that is, is that person right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Is it mm-hmm. what it means? And does this way of conveying that information accurately convey what the original author intended? I th- I yeah, that's it, really helpful. Yeah, and I guess it matters then who's translating. Uh, you know, is there a particular theological bias or uh, certain commitments that might be coming through the translation that you know we might disagree about? 
Oh, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's like uh, people who say they listen to Fox News because CNN is biased, and people who listen to CNN because they yeah. say Fox News is biased. Well, of course, both of them are biased. If you think it's not biased, it means it's biased in the way you are. That's <laughs> what unbiased means. You can't take material written in a culture two, 3,000 years ago in another language and run it through the wonderfulness that is you and not have it come out with all kinds of baggage. Yeah. Sure. Well, this, you have to know what the baggage is. This sounds really complicated. And I think some of us might hear and see all these different translations and hear the problems that each translation poses and say, well, I guess I need to learn Greek or Hebrew to really read the Bible. Are, are these translations enough? Yeah, well, uh, teaching Hebrew keeps the lights on at my house, so I'm going <laughs> to fudge a little bit on that one. <laughs> of course, it's important. Yeah, of, of course, you should all learn Greek and Hebrew. Yes, of course, we should learn those biblical languages. We are in a really, really good place now as regards biblical translation. We have a very fine translation from people who know what's going on in Greek and Hebrew very aware of how the language works in the NRSV. And those people tend to be from the mainline theological tradition, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist. We also have a very fine translation from people who understand the kinds of things that I like to talk about in my Hebrew class, for instance. They understand that very well. They have to be, happen to be writing from a theological position that we would call evangelical. That's the New International Version. Two very fine translations that know what they're doing. Where they disagree is because of their theological commitments. I think we want people to have theological commitments. Mm -hmm. People do have theological commitments. As long as you know what they are, you read both together, pray, and have God show you which one works. When I do my uh, uh, Hebrew classes, the final exam, they have to translate a passage, and then they have uh, an opportunity to comment on a verse-by-verse -verse basis. Do I like the NIV translation here, or do I like the NRSV translation? And tell me why. Mm -hmm. And the why can't be, you know, my heart was strangely warmed. <laughs> you know, it has to be... Uh, Although it might have been. Well, and if it is, that's wonderful, <laughs> but uh, give, me a, give me a reason. And what they find is they like NIV for verse 1, and they like NRSV for verse 2, and they don't like either of them for verse 3, and they think all they and the two Bible translations all got it right in verse 4, and they can see that using a variety of those translations kind of gets over that bias or helps us see. So, so not knowing Greek and or, and or Hebrew uh, doesn't uh, totally cripple one's understanding of Scripture. It's, but but uh, uh, having a variety of English translations, say the NRSV and the NIV together, uh, for instance, uh, is helpful for, for getting at the nuances and, and maybe even the ambiguities of certain verses. It sounds like having this bounty of translations is both a, bless, is, is, is a blessing because we have... Um, all these different takes on on how to best translate these these texts it poses certain problems for us because then we have to ask questions which one is right. is best and we have right. to actually start thinking about these things for uh, it can be for, difficult. for quite a while there was just one english translation right or one main one like the king james version i, I know there were well king james version isn't really a translation it's a revision 
mm-hmm. of the Bishop's Bible, which mm-hmm. is a revision of the Geneva Bible, which is a revision of the Great Bible, which is a revision of Coverdale's Bible, which is a revision <laughs> of Tyndale's Bible. So Tyndale was really the one who translated, and that has continued. The Revised Standard Version is a revision of the King James. The New Revised Standard Version is a revision of that. So whether they're actually translations or whether they're revisions of Tyndale's original work, I think is kind of a moot point. Tell me, uh, talk just a little bit. Uh, I know that a number of our listeners may uh, use a a translation or a a version of the Bible called The Message or others like it by Eugene Peterson and uh, others uh, have have done the same thing, whose uh, intent is really to to put the Bible in in very contemporary language. Uh, Can you just comment on those sorts of translations? When I was a pastor, don't you love those stories? When (laughs) When I was a pastor a long time ago, I would see the uh, RSV or NRSV on the coffee table, you know, mm-hmm. pressing leaves or keeping canceled checks or something. <laughs> you know, but, and then we'd go in the kitchen and there'd be a living Bible uh-huh. stained with coffee, spine broken, pages written all over. And I said, let's talk about this Bible. Yeah. And when you're talking devotionally, when you're talking about what are people actually reading, I think it's okay to use these Bibles like the Message or the Living Bible or something like that. They're not really translations. They're paraphrases, mm-hmm. which means they are very much more a commentary on the text than they are a translation of the text itself. The most important thing that I would want to say is any Bible that you are reading is better yes. than any Bible you are not reading. It's better to be reading a paraphrase like the Message or the Living Bible than not to be reading the Greek New Testament. <laughs> so whatever we do, pick up the text and read, read it. it. Right. Amen. I think it's a great place for us to wrap up today. Sounds good. Uh, thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more at enterthebible.org. Join us again. <laughs>